The great reformer Martin Luther experienced that the joy and the freedom and the power the Spirit of God brings to living the Christian life. Uh, He was a very religious man. He fasted, he prayed, but he lived in this constant fear, fear of God, fear of death, fear of hell. He even became a monk. He said, I was a good monk. If anyone got to heaven through monkery, it was I. And one day Luther was reading the book of Romans and he discovered grace. He discovered that he was loved by God and, and, and the spirit of God indwelt him and he had this joy and this freedom and the power to live the Christian life. Uh, Same with the hymn writer Charles Wesley. He was a very religious man. He read his Bible for an hour a day. He was disciplined in prayer, weekly communion, fighting his sin. But it was exhausting. It was his effort, his strength. It was all duty and no delight. And then he discovered grace. And he too experienced the joy, the freedom, the power the Spirit brings to live the Christian life. And friends, there are far too many people in church who are religious. Uh, Are they Christians? Uh, If they believe in Jesus, yes. Do they have the Spirit? If they believe in Jesus, yes. But they're trying to do the, the Christian life by rules and regulations and laws and rituals, and it's their strength and their effort, and it's exhausting, and it's joyless, and it's powerless. They need the Spirit of God to give them that joy, that freedom, that power. Our our theme today is this, the the Spirit-filled Christian life. I've got five points. Here's the first one. The Spirit-filled life is a life of freedom. Freedom. We're set free, we're liberated. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're not weighed down by the guilt of our sin. That's been paid for at Calvary. We're not carrying this burden of trying to be the best people we can be because we're not the best people. We are wretched sinners with a glorious Saviour. And we're not condemned. That word condemnation in verse 1, it means to be found guilty, to be sentenced for punishment. Uh, Like the criminal who is condemned to jail to serve his sentence. Like the earthquake hit building that's condemned for destruction, it is set for to be destroyed. And we deserve condemnation, all of us do. Now, our, our sin, the, the good we fail to do, the bad that we do do, it stands against us and we deserve to be condemned by a holy God. But verse 1 again, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That is the extraordinary truth of the gospel. And friends, you you need the Spirit of God to persuade you of that, convict you of that, and to enable you to experience that so you enjoy this freedom. Because everything you've ever done and said and thought has been wiped away by the blood of Jesus, and you are free. This is how it works, verse 2. Read it with me. Because through Christ Jesus, through his life, his death, his resurrection... The law of the Spirit, not a law on stone tablets, but the law of the Spirit written on our hearts. The Spirit, verse 2, who who gives life, the life-giving, life-breathing Spirit who, who, who creates new life in us. Look at these next words. Has set you free, has liberated you from bondage, set you free from the law of sin and death. 
It's called the law of sin because it exposes our rebellion. It's called the law of death because we can't keep it and we do deserve death. So we were in bondage. We were slaves to God's law. Uh, The commandments are good. God's word is always good. It's just that we can never keep them. And like a ball and chain, that can be oppressive. But we've been set free. It's grace, not law. So the Spirit who breathed new life, he liberates us from the weight and the guilt and the burden of our sin. Is is sin still present? Yes. Do we still struggle? Yes. But the penalty of sin has been paid for at Calvary. And the power of sin, it has no power over us because the Spirit of God now lives in us. It would be very strange, wouldn't it, if, if a man who'd served his jail sentence and was set free, if he insisted on walking around Sydney dressed in his prison uniform with the word guilty stamped over him. Because he's paid his, pen, his sentence, he's now free. And says, if you're in Christ, you too are free. Look at verse 3 with me. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Uh, The flesh is just the way that we cannot keep God's law to love him with our whole heart, mind, soul and strength. But, verse 3, God did, God took the initiative by sending his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the likeness of sinful flesh. So he is fully human, yet sinless. To be a sin offering, verse 3. That's the words of Leviticus, where an animal was taken as a sin offering, a lamb without blemish, and the sins of the people were transferred to the head of the animal, and the animal was sacrificed as a sin offering in their place. So the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless one, steps into the world and our sins are poured to his shoulders and he dies, so we're set free. Paul says in verse 3, So God condemned sin, our sin, in the flesh of Jesus, the body of Jesus. In order, verse 4, the righteousness of the law might be fully met in us. That's amazing. God sees us as righteous. God sees us as law keepers, even though we're not. So, friends, you are free. You're not condemned. Look at the word now in verse 1. There's now no condemnation. Not just on the last day, but today you are free from the weight and guilt of your sin. It's liberating. The spirit-filled life means you are free from the weight of your sin. We don't go around constantly looking at our sin and feeling a constant failure. We look back at the cross and know we're forgiven. If it was all about rules and regulations and law-keeping, it would be miserable. Like Paul, we'd cry, what a wretched man I am. And I'm sad to say too many Christians live a miserable life. We're free from the weight of our sin. We are free from the burdens of expectation I always find it really sad when I hear of earthly fathers who exasperate their kids because they're never satisfied. The the room is never clean enough and the, the shoes are never clean enough and the grades are never good enough. And these kids feel they can never measure up. And so they need to earn their parents' love. And too many Christians have that view of God as though your father is never satisfied and you're never good enough. If you're in Christ... 
God sees you clothed in, in the righteousness of Christ. You're free from those burdens. And you're free from the accusations of the evil one. The devil loves religion. He loves it. If the devil can get people into church and obsess over rules and rituals and regulations, do this, don't do that, it will rob them of their joy in the Christian life, and he loves that. And because the sinless Saviour died, our sinful souls are counted free. So the spirit-filled life is a life of freedom. Number two, the spirit-filled life is a life of power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. That is verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, extraordinary power. Because it's not just about salvation, it's about sanctification. Yeah, the, the rules don't earn your relationship with God, but to enjoy your relationship with God, striving to obey, striving for holiness is a good thing to do. But without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life, we can never live a holy life. For as you have that power in you, the power of the Spirit, and he governs, he shapes, he controls our minds. That's the word used in verse 6. Look at it with me. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Now, that word means shaped, controlled. It's like a, a remote-controlled car. So the car goes in the direction of the one who has the power, the control. Well, the Spirit of God has the power of our minds. And he shapes, he controls them, so we live a godly life. And verses 5 to 7 is a series of stark contrasts. Look at it with me. Let's walk through them. Those who, whose mind, who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Uh, to understand that word flesh, uh, remove the H and read it backwards. S-E-L-F. Me, I, my, mind, self. And without the Spirit of God, we're controlled by our selfish desires. But, verse 5, those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. We, we know what we should want to do. We know what God pleases, what pleases God. You know, do you ever live with this tension, the Romans 7 tension? That the good that you want to do, you don't do, and the bad that you don't want to do, you keep on doing. That is a great sign. The Spirit of God is shaping you because he's showing you what you want to do and what you could do and what you should do. But verse 6 the mind governed by the flesh is death. Death now and that long, slow path towards hell. But, verse 6, the mind governed by the Spirit is life, eternal life, life that is truly life. We're alive in Christ and peace, peace with our Maker, peace within. So the Spirit-filled life is the best life to live. Because, verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. They don't like what God says. They don't care what God says. I will decide right and wrong. And according to verses 7 to 8, without the Spirit of God, people cannot obey God. They just can't do it. It's impossible. And that's why religion never works. Because we can't keep the rules. It's impossible. 
And that's why trying to moralise and Christianise people, it never works. It's not about making good people, it's making spirit-filled people. And to be filled with the Spirit, you need to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you, however, verse 9, you are not in the realm of the flesh. Your sin has no power over you anymore. Because you're in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, he has the power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. So friends, you do have the power to say no to sin. You do have the power to fight your sin. You have the power to put to death your sin. Sin is not your master because Christ is in you. By his spirit, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Do you get it? The spirit of God lives in you and he governs your minds. He shapes your thinking as you sit under the word of God. He helps you think rightly, things that are pure and lovely and beautiful. The spirit of God, he gives you that power to to stop envying the non-Christian lifestyle. Because you rightly think that that is empty, that is futile. The Spirit in you gives you the power to stop being shocked by the way of the world. When you see a world full of greed and slander and lies and hatred, we're not shocked by that. Saddened, yes. Prayerful, yes. Not shocked. Because it's a world hostile to God. By the power of the Spirit in me, I am enabled and equipped to love like Jesus, to be kind, compassionate, gentle, thinking of others. And when I face trials, I can consider pure joy by the help of the Holy Spirit. So you have the power of God in you, empowering you to desire what is right and to do what is right. Number three. The spirit-filled life is a life of obligation. Obligation. And I know that's a dirty word. But it's a beautiful word. It's a Bible word. Verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, a debt. Have you seen the musical Les Miserables? I love that scene at the beginning of the musical when the runaway prisoner, Jean Valjean, is stealing from the bishop. But the bishop shows him grace. He says, now here's the candlesticks as well. Now go and live a different life. And the rest of Jean Valjean's life is marked by grace. He's living in debt to the grace shown by that bishop. Same with us. We live in debt for the grace shown us in Christ. We have an obligation, verse 12. But it's not to the flesh. We don't owe sin anything. If you live according to the flesh, verse 13, you will die. Now, our debt is to the Spirit, to God himself, who has shown us so much grace and so much kindness. Verse 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, underline those three words, by the Spirit. This will be life change. The only way you can put to death sin in your life is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Religion never works. Rules never work. It's not about you trying harder. Okay, God, I am not going to get drunk anymore and I'm not going to lust anymore and I'm not going to lie anymore and I'm not going to be jealous anymore. It never, ever 
works. But when you fight your sin by the power of the Spirit, marked by grace, in debt to grace, and we'll look more at this next week in Galatians 5, as you bear the fruit of the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body. So by the Spirit, we can live, leaning more into Jesus, looking more to Jesus, abiding in Jesus. See, the Spirit of God enables you to identify your sin and repent of your sin and put to death that sin, and sometimes it's really painful. But we can do it, because he's at work in us. According to verse 14, we're being led by him. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Flip that verse around. The children of God are led by the Spirit of God. He leads, we follow. He guides, we go. You ever seen an owner taking their dog for a walk? And they're supposed to be leading the dog. But sometimes it seems like the dog is leading the owner. Sometimes those dogs have a mind of their own and they are sniffing at every bit of muck under the tree and they are chasing things that are bad for them. And you know, sometimes we do that with the Spirit of God. We won't let him lead us. We want to sniff at every bit of filth in the world and chase all the things that we know are bad for us. And he longs to lead us. Now, being led by the Spirit is a beautiful phrase. It does not mean that he just grabs us kicking and screaming and forces us to do anything. It doesn't mean we just let go and let God. What it does mean is this, that the Spirit prompts us and he strengthens us and he enables us and he encourages us and he empowers us and he equips us. But you've got a choice to make, that daily, hourly choice. Will you let him lead you? Will you follow when he prompts you. So this week he's led me. He prompted me to deal with bitterness in my life. He prodded me to pursue forgiveness in a relationship. And he equipped and enabled me to have a hard conversation I needed to have. Not always pleasant, but it's so good for you because you're being sanctified. So the spirit filled life, freedom, power, Obligation number four, assurance. Assurance. Now please say this after me. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Say it with me. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Who am I? I'm not just a husband to Rachel and a father to Sam and Nate and Elijah and Mike. I'm not just a pastor. I'm a child of God. I'm loved, I'm known, I'm chosen, I'm forgiven, I'm adopted, I'm redeemed, I'm an heir. It's a remarkable work of the Spirit. Look at verses 15 to 17. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves. So you live in fear again. So we're not like those little kids who cower in the corner, scared of their dad. Wait till your father gets home. And too many religious people live like that, terrified of, of, of God. Look at the verse, verse 15. No. The spirit you received brought about your adoption. Adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. We're adopted, we're chosen, we're wanted. 
In Paul's day, to be adopted means that you were chosen to inherit the family estate and to enjoy family intimacy. Same today. A friend of mine was adopted in the UK and he says, my parents loved me so much they deliberately chose me. Now God chooses you. He wants you. He wants you to enjoy that intimacy. That's the word sonship. It's an important word, sonship. Sonship means it's for, it's for both men and women because men and women are equal in worth and equal in dignity and equal in salvation. But we're all sons of God because we're all heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And sonship is so closely linked to Jesus being the son of God. And we get to enjoy the same intimacy with God as a father that Jesus did. Remember the night before he died in the Garden of Gethsemane at his darkest hour, with sweat and with blood and with toil, he's praying and he prays, Abba, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And friends, if you're a child of God, by the Spirit of God, you can cry, Abba, Father, and be confident of his intimate fatherly care for you. I still remember the first time that Sam called me dad. Uh, when Rachel and I got married, Sam was five. And, and he began by calling me Paul or Paulie. About six months later, in church, actually, one Sunday morning, a voice just said, Dad or Daddy. And I, and I didn't register because no one ever called me dad before. But from that moment onwards, Sam has always called me dad. Why? Because he trusts me. He feels safe and secure. He knows that I love him deeply and he is my son. And that's how God feels about you. He longs, he wants you to call him daddy. Verse 16 says, The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's like every time we pray, every time we say, Father God, he's saying, you're my child, you're my child and I love you. Not just that, we, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, verse 17. That's extraordinary. That is the work of the Spirit to assure you that you are loved, not lost. That, that you're a son, not a slave. You're adopted, not abandoned. And you're a prince or a princess in the palace of a king. Who are you? You're a child of God. That's who you are. And then lastly and very briefly... The spirit-filled life is a life of endurance. Endurance. There's an if in verse 17. If indeed we share in Christ's sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. See, the path of Jesus was suffering before glory. And that's the normal path of the Christian life. I oh, don't mishear me, it's not all suffering. There is great joy, great delight, great prosperity, great goodness. But we are not exempt from suffering. If you're suffering hardships now, so did Jesus. If you're suffering persecution now, so did Jesus. If you're longing for heaven now, so did Jesus. As we live in this stuffed up world, we are groaning. Our creation is groaning, verse 22. Our world is groaning for the new creation where there's no virus, no violence, no terrorism, no tragedies. And according to verse 23, we Christians are groaning, longing for our new, perfect, redeemed bodies. So this life is not easy. 
but it's the Spirit of God who enables you to persevere, to press on, and to endure. So please, my friends, don't settle for the religious life with your rules, your regulations, your good works, your human efforts, because it's exhausting. Now pursue the Spirit-filled life, one of freedom and power and obligation and assurance and endurance. As our, as our passage says, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen.